Hello, Erica. Hello, Stephen. We're back. Back home from the United States of America. Yeah, we had a, we had a vacation. We had some time off there. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you, the, those of you who follow along our feed religiously, <laughs> might have realized. Yeah, we needed it. I'm I'm glad we did that. Sorry, sorry to leave you for so long, but yeah. Yeah, we we had intentions. Well, not intentions. We left open the possibility of doing episodes when we were on vacation, but it was just so nice to sit by a campfire or by the lake or you wanted to watch lots of episodes of Veronica Mars while I played Settlers of Catan on my iPad. Uh, It was a vacation. A proper, proper vacation. But now we're back and uh, decided to watch one single episode of Inferno. So now we have seen episode two. Yep, I've forgotten everything that we said about episode one, so I will likely repeat things that I said uh, in our episode one review in this review. Yeah, I might too, because that was a long time ago. A long time ago. But, uh, but yeah, the the one thing that I just want to mention right now, before I forget, is that at the end of episode two, as the Brigadier and Liz Shaw come running back uh, to try to see what the doctor's up to or stop him or something, mm-hmm. uh, Liz opens the garage door with her own sonic screwdriver. And it was clear that the doctor was using his sonic screwdriver to open the door for her when she left. So that means Liz Shaw has a sonic screwdriver. Why has nobody told me this? I don't think that that was a... I don't think like when I saw the doctor sort of close it or open and close it as Liz Shaw went out, it didn't look like the sonic screwdriver. It looked like a little okay. short or something. So I think maybe they're just sort of like both kind of like okay. garage door openers. Okay. Yeah. If you say so. Okay, then I want the Liz Shaw garage door opener. <laughs> That's a toy that I would like. They, uh, I don't want to, bre- I do want to break it too. They have those a lot now, gra- mm-hmm. automatic garage door openers. But in 1970, it was probably a novel thing to be able to press a button and, uh, and, the garage door would open. I may need to see some like screenshots to see exactly what it is that we're looking at plot uh, prop wise there. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, we could do that, um, but not now no. because that would involve editing. And as you know, we don't do that. So yeah. we'll just have to wait and see at the resolution of the cliffhanger in episode three. And we'll watch very closely in the, the very opening seconds of it. That's a, that's a very good plan. Mm-hmm. What uh, what else about this um, this episode did you did you notice? I really like this story, by the way. I I do want to point out that in between us watching episode one and now episode two, it's been like over a month. Um, I think Doctor Who magazine had a Twitter poll that sort of had like a World Cup theme to it, sort of coinciding with the beginning of the uh, Women's World Cup, and um, matching like stories against each other and stuff. And Inferno won as the the best or certainly most popular third Doctor story, um, according to the Doctor Who magazine Twitter poll. So we are watching a... I'm not surprised. It's always been very, very highly rated. Yeah, it has. It's it's one that a lot of people have, have held up. I certainly wouldn't choose it as my favorite because it doesn't have enough Liz Shaw for my taste. I like the more Liz Doctor stories, and mm-hmm. this is... We get a, a few nice moments between them. But uh, but not enough not enough for me. But I do really like this story. Just yeah. overall, it's a very good story. In fact, I like it so much that I kind of have been not wanting to watch it. If that makes sense. No, it doesn't. Explain. <laughs> okay, so you know how uh, Liz Liz Miles from from Verity, yeah. uh, how she adores Peter Cushing, mm-hmm. and 
has watched many, many films with him, but has not, like, she kind of doesn't want to get to the end. So she's been putting off watching a number of Peter Cushing films. Or uh, there's a big Finnish series that she really loves, but she has not listened to the final um the final episode of the final story in it uh even though it came out 11 years ago because she doesn't want it to be over that's how i'm starting to feel with um season seven and liz liz shaw basically Uh, the doctor's fine whatever but i really feel cheated by the universe that i didn't get any more liz shaw after this and then we dive into the era that i'm suspecting is going to be one of my least favorites so that's why i kind of (laughs) i kind of just really want to drag this out you were like do you want to watch another episode and i was kind of like in my head i was like yeah i'd like to but i also want to just keep stretching a little bit yeah you and endings are um are a thing where you don't you don't quite get along with them nope I really don't. But I also wanted to say that uh, one of the reasons that I did decide I wanted to watch another episode of this today, Inferno, is because we just got back home from watching The Goonies in the movie theater. Uh And I had totally forgotten that One-Eyed Willie's pirate ship was called The Inferno. So that made me happy. Um, And it reminded me of Doctor Who and this wonderful story that I eventually am going to have to get through. So let's do one episode tonight. We could have uh, just thrown a complete curveball and watched like episode one of the War Machines where they go into the nightclub that's called the Inferno. Yeah, I would have been up for that too. I was I was thinking of that as well. There was a there was a club in Madison called Club Inferno. Really? Yep. Or wa- or watching uh, I believe it's episode four of the Romans, which is also called Inferno. Whatever. <laughs> you know my feelings on that story. I think all all the, I think all the comedy rape scenes are are in the previous three episodes, so you don't have to worry about that one as much. No, you just get to watch the doctor and Vicky sitting there and giggling at the yeah. burning of freaking Rome. Sorry, I get really angry at that story, like genuinely. But not this one. No. Not this one. <laughs> not this one. No, I uh, I I quite enjoy um, anti-authoritarian. Um, John Pertwee Doctor, where he and um, <laughs> Stallman really have some great scenes in here. You know, as a I have come to a conclusion or something that he says as Stallman comes in, the yes, that you sir are a nitwit. I love that. <laughs> That's a really good line. Yeah, he's a something that you will find very like very important or very crucial. And that yeah. That's when Stallman says, "What is it?" <laughs> yeah, you sir, like because that's it's not just. It's not just insulting him and calling him mm-hmm. a nitwit. It's it's setting him up and like toying him along with it. Like this is something important that you need to know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're a nitwit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And then there's the other one where you know Stallman um, fumbles around with the uh, the computer and steals a little micro circuit and then uh, looks around the brigadier's. De- I love the the very dismissive way that he's walking around the desk. It's sort of like there's a paper. He just flings it in the air. Get out of my way. Sort of ah, the swagger stick that'll do. And then sort of moves the stuff. And then the music builds up. And then uh, uh, the doctor uses for the first time Venusian karate. It'll be uh, a keto in later episodes, but uh, it's the first time that we sort of learn about the doctor's new martial art. I like that scene as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's good. Do you know why they changed it from karate to aikido? I think because um, is it aikido or is it jujitsu? It's aikido. aikido. Okay, yeah. I think because aikido is made up. Don't quote me on this, martial arts experts, but I think aikido is made up of entirely defensive moves, 
and karate i think is a and i think maybe it was pertwee or someone decided no we we don't want to have the doctor learn a an attacking martial art he wants to learn a defensive one i feel like i had heard that as yeah. well so i was just just curious about that because yeah what he what he did was like i mean it looked more like the vulcan you know neck pinch than anything else yeah. he just basically is poking him uh, actually, no, what it really looked like was Xena the warrior princess, like one of Xena's moves where she just goes and, uh, you know, cuts off the blood flow so they can't. Really? I'd, ne- I'd never watched Xena, so. Oh, it's such a good show. Maybe someday we can watch it together. Oh, the look on your face makes me very sad inside. Xena the warrior prince. I know that uh, some people hold that series in very high regard and, and and you know, it's a part of their their development as people, but uh, to me it always smacked of, because it was always just what I'm going to say it was, a late late night cable show that sort of, yeah, it was always on at like 12.30 on, yeah, it was was just like buried in the boonies for whenever I saw it. All right, well, blame Canada for that because it was like a, you know, prime time show. I don't remember what channel it was on, but Xena Warrior Princess was. Syndicated, I think. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's 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 lighthearted and silly in places, but in some places it's really not, and it's quite good. And uh, yeah, I just I pretty much dig most of Sam Raimi's TV shows. Was that Sam Raimi? Damn well was. Yep. Was it set in a Middle Earth type of fantasy um, medieval history? No, it was set in like Earth's history, but during like mythological times, uh, and it was it was a spinoff of Hercules. So. Like, oh, right. It's yeah. Kevin Sorbo, <laughs> the universe's favorite person. Yeah. he Really? I no, no. People don't like him anymore. He's oh. said dumb things recently. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. But yeah, I, Hercules was fine. Um, it, it was a good show in its own way that had its moments, but uh, but I, I thought Xena was, was much better. Oh. I'm trying to um, find a Doctor Who connection to Xena, and I don't know enough about Xena to steer it back on. I bet you probably there was a fire at some point in one of the many episodes of Xena the Warrior Princess, so which leads us back to Inferno. Maybe a maybe a volcano, as we see in the opening credits for this, no? I don't know. There's probably maybe a crossover actor at some point, but um, yeah, I'm not sure. Lucy Lawless has not been in Doctor Oh my God, Lucy Lawless should be in Doctor Who. I think that would be amazing. Is she Australian or is she American? She's a Kiwi. Or New Zealander, rather, yeah. Yes, yes she's from New Zealand. Um, yeah, was Bruce Campbell ever in Doctor Who? No. Bruce, Bruce Campbell should also be in Doctor Who. Ted Raimi. Ted Raimi should also, also be in Doctor Who. I'm just recasting the next season of Doctor Who. What I like about Inferno is that... <laughs> I might have said this on episode one, uh-huh. is that Douglas Canfield never used Douglas, uh, I mean, uh, Dudley Simpson for the music in whatever story that he directed after um, uh, The Chase. And he uses, uh, like I said, I might have said this in episode one, this starts to sound really familiar, but I've said this everywhere mm-hmm. when I talk about Inferno, about how during that scene is when I noticed the most, when the when Stallman's looking around for something to smash the circuit with, and then the music builds up. That is Delia Derbyshire's, um Radiophonic Workshop music from a few years before. That was some of the stock music used. And it's such a creepy, just like, and then, then with the sound of the, the drilling going on and like some, some of the music is just sort of kind of like clangs and low rumbles and stuff. It's just such an atmospheric sounding story. I think that's why it rates so highly for me because, you know, there's no traditional music score going on. It's just sort of otherworldly 
sounds. I, I have to admit, I did not notice that. I, I do remember in our previous episode talking about just the, the sound of the drill mm-hmm. that you get in yeah. the in the main rooms. And then, you know, when the, when you're in the Briggs office and the door closes, that, that cuts off. So like that, that I, I kind of sort of subconsciously at least noticed, but I didn't pick up on any of the other the other sounds. And uh, you mentioned a few minutes ago about how he sort of like uh, is boldly going through the brigadier's room and throwing things around. I read that more as crap has already started to happening to him because right. his his hand is turning green and it's more that he can't control himself and he can't control his emotions. So he is doing his best to continue acting like a normal person, but he's not succeeding entirely. So he's just like, you know, jerking open drawers and throwing papers to the ground. Mm-hmm. And he's... He's been threatened by this computer the whole time, but he's never pulled out the micro circuit until this point because he's got something in his blood that is literally making his blood boil. Ah. So he can't he can't sort of keep his emotions under control and he's just going for the sort of lizard brain thing to do and that is destroy your enemy and the computer is his enemy. So that's why he grabs the micro circuit then. That's why he can't walk normally cuz into the uh into the room. That's uh-huh. why he's throwing things around. That's why he just tries to destroy it. But he's slight. He's not quite as effective as like Slocum, no. um, who like who's doing similar things. He's mm-hmm. busting in to try and turn the uh, the the reactor up or something like mm-hmm. that to to burn more more heat. Yeah, that's an interesting theory. I never thought about that. Yeah, I mean, I guess, I mean, I guess technically, yeah, it is a theory. It is headcanon, but yeah. I feel like it's really well supported by what we see on the screen mm-hmm. because he's, you know, kind of like you can see the green on his hand. Yeah, that's right. And you don't, I like how you pointed it out too, because we, we see it a little bit before he recognizes it when he's sort of like talking to Petra and he can sort of see, wait a second, his hand's a little bit green. That was, that was a very nice bit of um, staging and directing and blocking mm-hmm. because, you know, he's, he's, talking and, and writing too because yeah. it's it's the lines that are going along with it saying you know in exactly 25 minutes we are going to up the speed of the drilling process and in order to like you know synchronize watches or whatever he's he's turning his hand yeah. just at the right angle so that we as the audience can see the green on the inside of his hand and he and Petra can see the face of his watch and I mean he, he leaves it in that position probably longer than he would necessarily have to just mm. to make sure that we that we can see it but i think that's a nice bit of business and uh it's like you could totally miss it i i suspect that the first time um i saw this story that i did not notice at all mm-hmm. yeah and it's not like we get a, a great close-up of it either when yep. he pulls away he just start you can see him starting to react you only see a little bit of the makeup mm-hmm. you know perhaps a lesser director would have like cut to a close-up or put an insert shot in of his hand uh and that would just like hammer the point home but that's the the hand turning is not the main thing. It's his reaction to it, I think, at that point. And I think it's also Douglas Camfield trusting the viewer and mm-hmm. recognizing that, you know, that's at least some of the people p- watching the show are going to pay close attention and are going to catch that and get that delightful, warm, fuzzy, smug feeling mm-hmm. that we nerds get when we watch closely and see something that isn't called out really clearly so that we can go, aha. I see that coming. Uh, and then, you know, maybe you're sitting on the couch next to somebody who doesn't see it coming. And then you get to feel really smug when you point it out. <laughs> like perhaps kids to their parents or something like that. Mm-hmm, exactly. Or, you know, older brothers to their younger brothers yeah. or vice versa. Yeah. 
or sisters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we've uh, speaking of Douglas Campbell, I believe we've seen the last of his work in the studio for this story. Because mm-hmm. now, after this uh, production block, he is he falls ill and it has to leave production and Barry Les takes over so see if you notice any differences over the next five episodes Douglas Canfield obviously directed all the film stuff still and that's used in here but um but yeah but Barry Letts follows his script quite to the letter um and and does a pretty admirable job of it as well I think because this story is still damn fine speaking of film stuff yeah. um I I quite like the the scene with the doctor and the brigadier for who have for some reason climbed up onto like some of the catwalks there uh-huh. at the facility uh i don't just to be able to see the lay of the land to, uh to have a quiet word with each other where nobody else can hear them yep. i don't know i don't care uh-huh. it's just it's just cool and and the, the also the framing there you've got the doctor sort of in the back leaning against the uh, the railing and the uh-huh. brigadier sort of in the foreground and we're seeing him in profile it's just it's a really nicely lined up shot and i just i really like seeing the doctor and the brigadier interact and that's like that's the one thing that sort of has me holding on for later seasons mm-hmm. is that yeah i won't have liz shaw anymore but at least i'll have the doctor and the brigadier i hope still being buds in the way that i appreciate watching them interact now don't tell me like i'll find out but but that was that was a good good little moment they're still they're still uh you know a good team in later seasons but yeah this this season we've said it before i think especially in doctor who and the Silurians, when um they actually call themselves like holmes and watson this is such a holmes and watson type of you know the mm-hmm. brigadier being basically or maybe lestrade in this point where he's saying you know doctor i need answers uh is like how they lead off that scene and and the doctor says Krakatoa. That's where he recognizes the screams from. Yeah, honestly, I feel like Liz Shaw is the is a little bit more of the Watson. She's like a more competent Watson, but she's also a doctor, like and she's really literally his assistant. Yeah. And like the few good moments that we get with the two of them are like just that same awesome trustingness and being on the same you know she's like doctor i think you should look at something with a computer and he says he's just like oh something interesting not like what what do you mean explain yourself it's just like oh does liz think this is interesting if so then i should be interested in it and then you know she says no terrifying um and then when he is trying to subtly sneak away and be and find the time to flip on the nuclear reactor so he gets his power again you know he sends liz off and there there is the uh you know please go check the gamma circus or something Uh uh-huh. and uh, and she's just like uh why do you need- oh don't ask me questions there's a good girl yeah. okay i did roll my eyes a little bit at that but the look that she gives him makes it all okay for me because she just sort of recognizes like okay doctor whatever you say uh-huh. you know it's 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 like rolling your eyes while also nodding your head like oh aren't you sweet <laughs> <laughs> there's a trust there though yeah. still yeah. absolutely absolutely and the same thing you know when it he gets there he's you know how, how do things look and a couple of circuits burned out uh, but everything else is fine she says and he's like oh did you replace them and she says yep just like you know he's not asking her with any sort of um condemnation like you know if she hadn't it's just mm-hmm. like he's expecting that she had and then she did mm-hmm. and he's pleased but not like 
condescendingly pleased about it. Uh, and the only reason that he sends her away is so that he can do his sneak tests. Yeah. Um, and Not for the first time. Mm-hmm. You know, in Spearhead from Space, he did the same thing where he sends her off to get the key. Yep. So, and I feel like that's that's the doctor being protective of somebody that he cares about. Like, mm-hmm. he, he knows he's doing something that is taking a risk and he doesn't want to get anyone else involved in it Mm -hmm. and that is something that the doctor will continue to do you know forever and ever like at least quite often i was just listening to uh the moment podcast Mm -hmm. which is an excellent podcast that you should all be listening to um and deb stanish was a guest on the show talking with tom dickinson about uh, a moment in in rose and then the conversation uh veered or it wasn't a moment in rose um it was a moment with rose the character uh talking about how the doctor tricks her into getting into the tardis to leave at the end of parting of the ways um and yeah so this is this is like one of those very very core doctory pieces of personality Mm -hmm. wanting to protect the uh the people that he cares about yeah, mm-hmm. I remember that. I got the same vibe when he did that too. Mm-hmm. This episode as well from uh, Parting of the Ways. Yep, and I mean sometimes, sometimes, and I can't think of any examples, but sometimes when the Doctor does stuff like that, it feels manipulative, mm-hmm. like probably like every other thing that the Seventh Doctor does. But um, right. but here it doesn't feel manipulative in that same way. It just sort of feels like more matter of fact, and it doesn't bother me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, good. I like that, that we've come, um, that the Brigadier is Lestrade and Liz is Watson and the Doctor is obviously Sherlock Holmes. Mm -hmm. That is how this this time team works. I still can't get over how sharp a shift, yeah, shut up Google, Um, how (laughs) sharp a shift from season six to season seven is. It's just, it's night and day. This is such a different show. It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't feel like the same show and I'm just overjoyed mm-hmm. at how much I enjoy this. Like I really, I really am liking John Pertwee as the doctor here. There are, you know, moments here and there where it kind of makes me roll my eyes. But for the most part, like just, he's really good. Like I feel like I've been missing out on this this whole time because maybe it's because more of the episodes that I, or the stories I had seen mm-hmm. were from later times where um his characterization is not quite the same and there's no Liz Shaw like I just feel like that's the magic that's the magic ingredient that makes his doctor so perfect for me is the fact that you have a character on screen that he not only cares about Mm -hmm. and not only trusts but respects Mm -hmm. as an equal you know as much as you can kind of expect Mm -hmm. a all-powerful alien to to find it an right. equal but just the the way that they interact is so even keeled that um that it makes any of the other sort of harsher aspects of his uh his brashness uh, or braggadocio like it doesn't bother me as much because you have those moments where he's treating someone else who's a woman mm-hmm. as uh as a compatriot and as a colleague and i'm really really not looking forward to to losing that yeah i know what you mean i'm sorry i'm harping on this so much i just i feel it very deeply no no you are feeling the same uh season seven 
um, one night only. It feels like almost an affair with a, a <laughs> an era of Doctor Who that we do not get past this. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's 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 different. It's different. I mean, there are many things that are the same in the the seasons to come, but there's nothing quite like season seven of Doctor. Still to this day, it's that unique little jewel that was put in place by a producer who then basically left at the beginning <laughs> of it and someone else took over and God bless Barry Letts and everything. But boy, I wish that he and Taryn Six would have sort of kept this kind of feel going throughout the uh, the course of, of the series because it was really good. But the later seasons um, made Doctor Who into a household um, tradition, basically. So... What are you going to do? Doctor Who has changed many times over the years, and you can't really lament the passing of one era to the next because you know that that era is always there to revisit, just like we are doing so here. Yeah, I just wish there was more of it to Mm -hmm. revisit because I feel like the other eras that I have discovered that I love so much, there's, there's a lot more of it. Like, you know, finding out how much I adore the Patrick Troughton years. There's yeah we can't see a lot of it but as it's, as we've discovered I don't care I'm happy with uh, mm. with the recons there's a lot of that you know the Tom Baker later years there's a lot of later Tom Baker years that I love so much yeah. there's plenty of that there's a couple of seasons of you know of Peter Davison like all my Doctor my true Doctor Who happy places the ones that like really really make me like super happy there's there's more than than what we have here mm-hmm. and that's that's I'm I'm just feeling a little. A little self-indulgent and sad. <laughs> well, at least we have five episodes of Inferno to get through still that we can savor and enjoy. That's true. That's true. I just I I know that we are going you know sideways real quick here into an alternate dimension uh, and yeah, there's five more episodes, but it's not really five more episodes of the thing that I love so mm. much. Uh, it is interesting. It's fascinating. It's a it's a great idea. It's a wonderful science fictional concept, and it's really well done. Uh, it's just it makes it it hurts all the more that this is the final story because I don't feel like it's an appropriate send off for the bits that I love. That's mm. that's all. Yeah, because it probably wasn't intended to be. At the time, and then of course things changed in the off season, and off we go. As they do, mm-hmm. yep, yeah. After this is done, I'm gonna have to like search out some, you know, the Liz Shaw novels, and or is there a big finish? I don't even know. Like I gotta, I gotta find. Maybe I just need to hit Ao3 and read some fanfic. That, That's probably the best way to go. That could be it. Um, yeah, search out, search out all the uh, mm-hmm. um, expanded universe stuff. Send me your wrecks, people. <laughs> Send me your wrecks. Uh, I think that's it. I think we're done here, isn't it? Yeah. Anything else you want to talk about? Oh, I'm. Sh- I could. I'm sure I could find things to go on about. Like I like Petra very yeah. much. Um, she seems to be like passionate about her job, but still pretty level-headed and living in the real world. So she's, you know, kind of a, a nice balance in between everybody else and Stallman, mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. including Greg. Yep. Yeah. Greg, who now gets to go by his first name. That's true. Mm-hmm. Lots of uh, lots of lady scientists in the background, too. That's right. Yeah, I was count- trying to count, and it was difficult because the camera kept moving, but it was five or six women in the background mm-hmm. just doing science, yep. and nobody's saying anything about it. They're not like... 
It doesn't look like they're doing tasks that are any less important than what the guys are doing. They've all got white smocks and clipboards like everyone else. Yeah, exactly. So I was just like, I feel like we have backslid in a way that in, what year was this again? 1970. 1970. 1970, it's just like, it is... A, a normal thing for women scientists to be working side by side with men scientists mm-hmm. on like literally earth shattering <laughs> projects. Yeah. And, you know, you get not all that many years later and we have like an entire season of Doctor Who that has almost no women in it except for the companion. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, this is in some ways a golden age. Um, and I didn't realize that, you know, women characters women extras was going to be part of that golden age crazy isn't it well i'm trying to think for future episodes don't get your hopes too high for just thinking season seven because we had a you know there's we've noticed that a a bit throughout the throughout this season that's true. Like in Silurians, there's there's a few in the background. There's always be there's always scientists mulling about in the background with clipboards in, in season seven episodes. Uh, that's that's another thing I just love about this season. Scientists mulling around in the background mm-hmm. with clipboards. I guess I never like if you would have described that to me, I would have been like, yeah, that's my thing. But now that I've seen it again and again, it's like for sure. I mm. I love that. That makes me very happy. Well, regardless of what you think of the rest of the John Pertwee era, I'm glad that you're enjoying at least his first season. Mm-hmm. Yep. I love it. I'm just, I'm shocked, but I do. Yay. Yay. Okay. Well, next time it's episode three and possibly only episode three if we're going to stretch the story out <laughs> as much as we possibly can. That's likely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Goodbye. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye.